Today we've got a lot of things going on. We've got David Messer preaching for us as Chad is away today and pray for him as he's in Central Asia. And uh, remember to pray about the men's breakfast coming up Saturday. We've got three signed up, so get on those sign-up lists. And for the rest of the bulletin announcements, look to your bulletin, which you can read for yourself. Okay? So, let's pray and we'll go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for an opportunity to just come together with your people and to worship. We're so thankful for the great move of your spirit that we've had in our church. We're thankful for the unity that we have amongst our congregation. We're thankful for this worship team. We're thankful for all of our deacons, all of our folks, Lord, that lead and lead well. We, help, uh, we, we pray, Lord, today that you will help us get an understanding of what your word has to say and what your spirit is saying to our heart individually. We open ourselves up to that now, to your encouragement, to your admonishment, to your direction. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Glad you're here this morning. We're going to sing one everyone knows. I'll fly away.
Y'all can be seated. got the second string today, so you get what you pay for. Please remember to pray for Pastor Chad as he's gone from us, uh, doing some work. It's very important. Uh, He's out of the country right now, but uh, we can pray for him as he continues to do. Wow, I'm powerful this morning. How's that? Still Still a little bit of ring there, okay. We got children's church today? Yes. So, kids, uh, children's church, you can be dismissed. We'll give them just a second. In the spring of 1975, a young man stepped out the door of a retail establishment in Nashville, Tennessee, at the corner of Fifth and Arcade. Now, some of you history buffs may know that directly across the street was the Walgreens where the civil rights sit-in first occurred back in 1960. But this 11-year-old was not looking at the Walgreens. He was looking at the trees. And he was stunned. Because these tree things, they had these little things on them that are called leaves. And he could see the leaves. And that's because I was wearing a pair of glasses for the first time ever. As an 11-year-old, I was blind as a bat. I'm still blind as a bat. But that was the first time I ever had glasses on. And I remember standing there just amazed at the detail and everything because I'd been doing this for my entire life. And yes, that was my best year of Little League ever because after I got my glasses, it looked like they were throwing a basketball up there. It was great. (laughs) I never did learn to hit a curveball, though. Fast forward six years. Six years later, that same young man, only much older at that point, I was standing in the Army Recept Station in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and the Army, in all their wisdom and glory, decided that the glasses that my parents had spent so much money on really weren't necessary that the army could give me a really good pair of glasses. So they take my civilian glasses away and they give me the most beautiful black eyeglasses your, your, your imagination can come up with. And yes, they corrected for distance pretty well, but I had the worst headaches. You know why? Because I have a really bad astigmatism. In layman's term, what that means is my cornea is really messed up. It's shaped really weird. And so, as the light comes into my eye, it doesn't all hit my lens at the same time. And so, yes, my vision is twisted. It's warped. What I think I'm looking at is not actually exactly where it is. It's off to the side and down a little bit. Well, this would normally be no problem unless you go to the rifle range. So the first time we go to the rifle range, I'm wearing my beautiful black army glasses and I'm thinking this is a breeze I've been shooting all my life the sights on this particular M16 rifle it's just like the ones on my brother's Winchester 22 this is easy lay down prone position put the target up three shots bam 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 all we're doing is zeroing the weapon and for those of you who aren't hunters or aren't shooters all that means is you're trying to make sure that the sights align with the barrel So what you're pointing at is what you hit, okay? It's not a complicated process, if you can see. So so we we have to run up and we get our targets, and it's only 25 yards, so it's not here to the back door. Easy. Bring the target back, and the the, the, actually, in this case, it was our company XO, our our first lieutenant. He looks at my target and he says, good shooting, son. What in the world were you aiming at? 
because sure enough, it was good shooting. I had three shots that you could cover with a dime. I mean, they were tight. The only problem is they were three inches to the left of the bullseye and 11 inches too low. They were barely on the paper. We will not have a discussion at this point about what the first lieutenant said to me. Um, he was not pleased. So he said, do it again, this time aim at the bullseye. And I did, and I put three more right in the same spot. He grabs my rifle out of my hand, goes and lays down, puts the, takes the target down, comes back, and he puts three right on the bullseye. He says, there's nothing wrong with this weapon, it's you. I'm like, no, duh, I figured that out. So I do it again, and I put three more right in the same spot. Three to the left, 11 down. Finally, they get the company armorer involved. By this time, I'm the only one in the entire company has not zeroed his weapon yet. And we go through this routine three or more times, and everybody's yelling and everybody's screaming. And finally, the armorer says, well, maybe it's his glasses, I don't know. Let's just change the sights. So they adjusted the, shot, the sights 11 inches up and three inches to the right. You see, they were fixing a problem that didn't exist. They had a solution that did not match what the problem was. The problem wasn't the rifle. The problem wasn't the sights. The problem wasn't my shooting. The problem was how I saw things. The problem was how my eyes understood the information it was getting and how it reacted to it. For those of you in Tim Mosley Sunday School class, I apologize. We're talking about worldview again. We just did this this morning in Sunday school. I want to talk about a Christian worldview today. I want to talk about the way in which you see the world, the way in which you gather information, and how that impacts you and what you do with it. Because obviously, if you get bad information, what's the result? It's a bad outcome. The old computing term, gigo, garbage in, garbage out, same thing. We're going to look at how that plays out in our Christian walk. Now, you might think that that's sort of silly, but it's not the first time that this, has come, this idea of a worldview has come up. In Proverbs 23, Scripture says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Very good Sunday school grads. Proverbs 24, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow what? The issues of life. From your heart flow the issues of life. Jesus said it this way. He says, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. I had a friend of mine used to say, if you want to know what somebody is full of, just bump them real hard. It'll come out. James tells us that we're supposed to be doers of the word, not just hearers of it. He says that when the person who just hears the word but doesn't act on it is like someone that goes and looks in the mirror and they get their hair all fixed and then they turn around and they forget what they look like. So the word talks a lot about the ways in which we look at the word, look at the world. In, in Romans chapter 12, there's a passage that many of you are going to know. It's not where we're going for the end. But this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. He says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Doug, are you getting a lot of feedback? I'm getting, we're getting quite a bit of ring. Okay. Um, pull that way a little bit. See if that helps. That you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. When we're talking about worldview, we're not just talking about the way you think. That's part of it. We're also talking about the way you make decisions. And not only that, but how do those decisions affect the way in which you live your life in relationship to God, 
in relationship to one another, in relationship to your kids, in relationship to your spouse. See, it's too easy just to wander through life and let life happen to you. But the Word is pretty clear that we're supposed to be interacting with the Word and with God and viewing the world through the right lens. Now, I've got all sorts of lenses. I got sunglasses for when it's too bright. I got some yellow glasses for when I'm shooting because they cut the glare down. I hate to say it, but I am at the age at which I have to wear reading glasses because my arm is not long enough. I wear contact lenses every night that actually reshape my cornea. Yeah, it's weird, okay? But I do those things so that I am receiving the right information so that I can deal with it, so that I can apply it, I can think about it, I can create beliefs on it, and then I can act on them. You tell me, how's the world doing? You interact with it every day. You interact with people that agree with you, people that don't agree with you, grumpy clients, grumpy lawyers, doctors, nurses, the woman at the grocery store, the guy changing your tire. We interact with people every day. And those of us who claim to be Christians need to act like it. The Apostle Paul had something pretty significant to say about that. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I see Michael sitting back there. We can, we can do a little Jesus revolution here. You got your Bible? Let me see it. For some of you, you can hold up your cell phone. That's fine. There we go. Good Bibles. Good to see them. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul was writing to a group of people that were very much like us. They lived in a society that was advanced, that was sophisticated, that had, for its day, significant technology. It had every influence in the world right there in Ephesus. It was a center of commerce. It had all sorts of different people from all nations all over the world in there all the time. They had all sorts of religions. And Paul's writing to a group of Christians in the church of Ephesus, and we're going to start with a part that you probably haven't read very much. Let's go down to verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. I love this verse. But you did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You guys ever gotten that ad on your phone? Eat this, not that. You ever gotten that one? <laughs> Maybe it's just me. You have? Good. Me and Sheila. There's a whole industry out there related to diet that says, eat this, don't eat that. Probably some pretty good advice. Paul goes about it a little differently. He starts saying, don't think like this, then I'll tell you how to think. If you look in verse 17, he says, here's what not to do. This affects our thinking, our belief, our actions. But look at verse 17. He says, don't think like the Gentiles. Now, he's writing to a bunch of Gentiles. He's writing to people who were not Jewish, 
who did not have a Jewish worldview. That weren't, they weren't steeped in the Old Testament. They didn't know all the law of Moses and all the history of the people of, of Israel. They didn't know that. These were people who were common pagans, just like us. North American pagans, except these were Middle Eastern pagans. And he's telling them, don't think like the world thinks. The word there that's translated normally Gentile is actually ethnos, the nations. Don't think like the nations think. And the way he says that they think is in the futility of their mind. Anybody ever done anything that was absolutely futile? You know the word? It's futile. It's useless. It accomplishes nothing. Anybody ever been assigned busy work at work? Why am I doing this? Because I'm paying you for the next six and a half hours and I can't have you just sit here. Well, there's a real good reason. It's futile. It, it, it accomplishes nothing. It, it advances nothing. And Paul says that people who aren't related to Jesus... Their thinking is futile. It doesn't mean they're stupid. It doesn't mean they're ignorant. It just means that it doesn't accomplish anything. And so when he talks about people who are, their, their mind is futile, he's primarily looking at the idea of whatever they're doing, it doesn't accomplish anything good. But he goes on. He says not only are, are they, is their mind futile, but their understanding is darkened. They just don't get it. They can't get it. They don't understand. You ever had somebody walk up to you somewhere and start speaking in a language you don't understand? And you stand there and go, yeah. I will talk in English louder because then you can understand it. We are such idiots. Talking louder doesn't make your English suddenly something that someone that doesn't speak English is going to understand. When people speak to us in languages that we don't understand, it's not that they're stupid. It's not that we're stupid. We just can't communicate. Because one of us, me, the receiver, my understanding of their language is darkened. It's like there's a veil across it. I can't see it. So I whip out my phone and I turn on the Google Translator and I hold it out to them. And then I can read what Google says I should understand from what they said. Having your understanding darkened, thinking in a way that is futile, is not a personal flaw that a person has. It's simply the condition they are in. They cannot understand it. He goes further. And in verse 18, he says, as a result of their thinking being futile, as a result of their understanding being darkened, what's the result? They are excluded from the life of God. That's a tragic place to be. And here's the kicker. It's not because God wants them to be excluded. If I hear one more person tell me that Christianity is an exclusive language, uh, religion, I'm going to throw up. Christianity is the most inclusive thing ever. Revelation tells us that God is trying to build a church of every kindred, and nation, and people, and tongue, and tribe on the planet. How much more inclusive can you get? The offer of salvation is not limited to some little tiny group of people that live in East L.J., Georgia, and go to this church. The gospel, the ability to have a true relationship with the living God of the universe, is open to everyone. There are no exclusions. And when Paul is talking about this is the way the world is, notice what he starts that passage with. He says, therefore, no longer do these things like the world does. 
Don't have your mind futile. Don't have your understanding darkened. Don't be excluded from relationship with God. Anybody want to be excluded? I don't know anybody that does. We don't walk around going, hey, how would you like to uh, be excluded from God? We don't do that. But here's an important thing to understand about this idea of worldview and the way we see reality. It's not just thinking. It's not just believing. Those things have to line up with action. Let me give you an example. I'm wearing this pretty little necklace. This is made out of, oh, 100-pound ripstop nylon. I've not conducted any experiments on it, but I've had these things like this before, and I know they'll hold a lot of weight. So I look at this, and I can feel it, and I can see that there are no cracks in, in the plastic. Okay, I think that this will hold my saxophone. Good for me. It does me no good whatsoever. See, thinking is just the way in which we gather data. We get information. And what we know about God, we get from primarily two sources. We get it from one another, from our parents, from people we grew up with, and we get it from here. And if you don't know what this says... The Greek word is dead meat. If you don't know what this book says about God, your thinking is futile. You can't get enough information about God if you ignore what he said to us. But it's more than just thinking. I can think all day long that this will support my saxophone, but it doesn't do any good. I have to believe that it's going to support it. Come on in, have a seat. Anywhere's good. You see, if all I do is think about this, it accomplishes nothing. Well, maybe I believe it. Maybe I've gathered all my information and I really think that it's true. I really do believe that this device will hold my saxophone. As a matter of fact, I believe it so much And I'll take my saxophone and I'll connect it to it. It's now, oh, it's not connected. Now it's connected. So I believe that this strap will hold up my saxophone. And I walk around with it all day long. And this saxophone weighs a little over four pounds. And at some point today, my thumb is really going to start hurting. And if I do it long enough, it's actually going to affect the nerves in my wrist, and these three fingers are going to go numb. I've done that before. It's not a smart thing to do. But I really think that this this strap will hold this saxophone, and I'll go so far as to say I believe it. I believe it to be absolutely empirically true that this strap will hold my saxophone. And as long as I do this, it does me absolutely no good. It's only when I let go of it that I have faith, that I act on what I believe. Folks, there are people in this congregation, there are people outside of this congregation that they think that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They actually believe. If, If you put it to them, they'll tell you they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's as far as it goes. They never put any action with what they say they believe. Anybody here ever been rock climbing or rappelling or any of that sort of stuff? You know when you believe that that belay line will actually hold you? When you fall. When you put your whole weight on that line and it's the only thing keeping you from crashing to the ground, oh, you have faith. And our problem is that for too many years we've taught a Christianity that is all in the head and not in action. Look at what Paul says down in verse 20. He says, You did not learn Christ this way 
And then he has this horrible caveat. He says, if, there's not supposed to be an if in that sentence. He says, you did not learn Christ this way if, if you've actually heard him and been taught in him because the truth is in Jesus. We're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, by the way. You didn't learn Christ this way. If you actually learned Christ, you didn't learn it like this. If you learned about Jesus, you didn't actually learn to be futile in your thinking and darkened in your understanding and separated from God if you really learned about Jesus. I'm going to say something that's going to be a little controversial and you'll get over it. If your faith, if your relationship with Jesus doesn't change your behavior and the way you deal with life every single day, you are not a Christian. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. I'll say it again. If your faith, if your relationship with Jesus does not change the way you live your life, the way you interact with people, the way you interact with God, if it doesn't change it, then you're not really a Christian. That's not to be condemning. Many people have never heard that. Because faith is not just in your head. It's not just something you believe. It's something that you do. Now, it's informed by what's in your heart, and it's informed by what's in your head, but it's the way in which you live your life in accordance with what God has said that demonstrates that your faith is a true and living faith. And you go, David, you're losing your mind. Yeah, possibly. So the question is, how, how, what's this worldview all about? How, how is that important? How, why is it important what I think? Thinking is hard, okay? It is. That's not a joke. It is. It's hard. We are bombarded every day by so much information that our grandparents would just roll up in a ball and die. We have so much data that comes with us every day. Some of it's good. A lot of it's bad. Some of it's true. Most of it is not. And depending on the lens we have in front of our eyes, we will either see it for the truth or for the falseness that it is, and then we can make decisions about what to do because that affects how we live our lives. You say, David, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not picking up what you're laying down. I'm not, I'm not tracking here. Okay, let's, let's try one. How many of you would say that the Bible says not to lie and cheat? Hands? Anybody believe that? Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. you and Jesus are good. Jesus says don't lie, and Jesus says don't cheat, okay? Joe, anybody ever try to cheat on their income taxes? Not that you know of, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Nobody that comes to Joe cheats on their taxes, okay? It's tax time. Very few people are smart enough to use a CPA to file their taxes. A lot of people go online and use TurboTax or whatever, and that's perfectly fine until you get the deduction part and you start lying. I'm sorry, your bass boat is not a business expense. <laughs> but there are probably Christians sitting in this room that have been filling out their tax returns and they got to the part about deductions and started going... Let's see, I actually gave 400 pennies to East L.A.J. Baptist Church last year. Oh, I misplaced the decimal point. That's $4,000. You ever going to get caught? Probably not. IRS care about your $4,000 charitable tax distribution or tax deduction? Probably not. What's God say to do about it? Pay your taxes. You go, David, something that simple? Yep. 
I'm having a bad day and Terry's called and needs me to pick something up at the grocery store on the way home and I whip into Ingalls and I go in and the stupid self-checkout doesn't work. Anybody ever experienced that? I see that hand. Is there another? Okay. And what happens? The poor guy that works there has got 15 people demanding his attention. <laughs> yeah, don't laugh. Demanding his attention all at that moment and they don't get to you first. And when they finally come over, do I go, man, you look like you're wrecked today. They're just killing you, aren't they? Nope. I go, it's about time you got here. Which one of those reactions is what Jesus would do? Folks, it's that simple. It's really not complex. When we start looking at our worldview, it goes past what we think up here and think past what we feel here, and it goes what to do here, what we do here, and what we say here. You can tell your kids, oh, I'm going to get in trouble now. You can tell your kids all day long that you're a follower of Jesus. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. You can say all day long that you're a follower of Jesus, but if you don't pay attention to what your children are being educated with, whether it's in a public school or in a Christian school, if you don't pay attention to it, you are not following Jesus. If you throw your children to the wolves, and the only thing you're worried about is what your fantasy baseball league is doing, and you don't care that your children are being taught that there are 47 genders, you have lost your mind and you are not following Jesus. If you teach your children that the number of points, and please, I'm not against sports. You heard me say, talk about Little League and how important the big basketball, remember? Still can't hit a curveball. But if you're more worried about your son being able to hit a curveball than about your son being able to defend his faith in Jesus Christ, you're wrong, Dad. You've lost it. Mom, if you're more about more worried about how your little girl looks and how her peers approve of her body weight and the clothing that she wears than you do about the fact that she's a child of the living God, you are wrong. You need to fix your worldview. You need some new glasses. And we live in a world in which there it's listen. For years, we've lived in this world where we could get away with anything. We could look like the world, we could act like the world, we could talk like the world, and nothing mattered. We're past that. There's a world that is increasingly hostile to the faith in Jesus Christ. And there's going to come a point at which your kids are going to have to put up or shut up. And if they don't know the truth, they're just going to shut up. And they're going to shut down. Worldview is not a game. Worldview is not an option. It's not the buffet at Golden Corral. You don't get to walk through Christianity and faith in Jesus and pick the parts that you like that make you feel good and not eat the Brussels sprouts. There are some things in being a follower of Jesus that are hard. There are things you cannot do. There are things you cannot watch. There are things you cannot listen to. But faith in Jesus, when you have a Christian worldview, is really easy. Jesus says that we should take his yoke on us and learn of him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's true, folks. I've been a Christian for more than 50 years, and I can tell you, my worldview has changed more in the last five years than it did in the 50 before that. Let me say that again. And David, you've been a Christian 50 years? Yep. And your worldview has changed in the last five years? Yep. It's changed in the last year. Because the more time I spend in his word and the more time I spend in fellowship in prayer and the more time I spend in fellowship with my brothers and sisters and they just keep rubbing on that sore spot I wish you would leave that part alone yep I'm just rubbing on it God you can just leave that part alone yeah I got you I'm just rubbing on it God I really wish you wouldn't rub on that spot anymore it's a little sore yeah I know I got it I'm rubbing on it 
like, just go ahead and take a hammer and break it off then, because I can't take much more of this rubbing. As we mature in Christ, our, our worldview is supposed to change, and it, it affects everything. Listen, how many of you were taught in your high school science class the theory of evolution? You didn't raise your hand. Every one of you were. Now, they may have said, uh, now, this is just a theory. There are people that don't agree with this. I don't even say that anymore. Anymore, it's like, evolution is how man got here. That's worldview. Let me tell you the natural result of that worldview. And I understand there's various views of creationism that are within the pale of orthodoxy. But if you believe that you are here as a result of a lightning strike in a primordial sludge that created an amino acid, and millions and millions of years later, well, I'm not going to talk about Trey. Uh, there's Trey. Well, see, I got the missing link right here. And so, yeah, if, but if you believe that, what does that ultimately mean you believe about the value of Trey or Julie or Frank? If, if I'm just the result of some grand cosmic joke, then nothing matters. There's no God. There's no heaven. There's no relationship. There's no forgiveness for sin. It, so it affects the way we view creation, uh, our theology. If you believe that there are many gods, well, just pick one. It doesn't matter. It's what the Romans did. They'd conquer a new people. Oh, you got 47 gods? Okay, we'll take those. Nothing matters. Your view of economics. Economics? Yeah, your view of economics matters. What does, what does God say about it? God says you don't own anything. God says I own it all. And your job is to take care of what I put in your hands. Yes, that means that I need to do a better job of washing the pollen off of my truck. That is an issue in my faith. And I will tell you, I am not good at it. When I don't take care of the things that God has blessed me with, I'm being a poor steward. <clears throat> I don't like that. Because then I have to repent of it and I have to change my behavior and you can ask my dear wife I've been changing my behavior for 37 years and we ain't there yet worldview affects everything what do you believe about truth well you have your truth and I have my truth eh, wrong answer truth is truth we can't all have a different truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't get to make up our own truth. Not if we're honest with ourselves. So this whole idea of worldview is so important because it affects absolutely everything that we do. Now, let's cut to the chase. How do I fix my worldview? There are a few different kinds of folks sitting in this room this morning and watching by live stream. There are some people here that have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They've never taken the step of going, going beyond, I think Jesus is really God's son, to even hooking into an idea of faith and saying, well, I believe that Jesus might be. They've never put the entire weight of their eternity on Jesus. They've never said, okay, I'm going to nail it down. I'm not just going to believe it anymore. I'm going to act on it. And I'm going to trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He died on a cross for my sins. Not because He's mad at me, but because He loves me. And because He wanted to be with me forever, He made a way that I could not get there. I owed a debt I couldn't pay and He paid it for me. 
There's some people in this room today and people watching by live stream, they've never made that commitment. You can make that today. There are people in this room that have never thought about worldview and they made a profession of faith at some time. They've gone to Sunday school and they come to church, but it doesn't affect their life. I can't sit here and tell you if you're a Christian or not. Not my call. But God can tell you if you're a Christian or not. And I think I can be pretty clear in the statement that if your faith hasn't changed the way you live your life, you need to re-examine it. And if you need to re-examine it and you say, I'm just not sure, today's a real good day to get sure. There's some of us here that never thought about worldview in terms of, well, how, how does all this stuff interact? How, how does this book interact with, with the way I live my life? And I want to do better with that. I, I, want, I want my faith to actually mean something and to be fruitful and not futile. I want my understanding to be open. I, even if it's okay if people think I'm weird, I, I want to make sure that I'm pleasing to God. Adjust your worldview. Maybe you've got a decision you're trying to make, and it's a big decision. Whether to take a job, whether to retire, whether to get some medical treatment, whether to get married, whether to have a child, where, where your kids can go to college. You've got all sorts of decisions to make. Understanding a Christian worldview will help you make that decision. So how do I fix that? Okay. Ever been, how many of you have ever been to an eye doctor in your life? Come on. Yeah, just about everybody, okay? If you haven't, you've seen it on TV. You're sitting there at the big machine. One or two? Which is better? One or two? It's never one. It's always two. One or two? And you finally say two, and they go... Move some things around. Okay, how about this? One or two? Uh, one better? Uh, yeah, or two? Uh, you can't tell the difference. One or two? Uh, probably one. Okay. You want to change your worldview? Here's how you do it. Which is better? One or two? One? One or two? One. If you want to change your worldview, there is only one way to do it. It's to get your nose in this book, and more importantly, get this book into your brain. It's the only way. There is no other path. You go, David, that's awfully exclusive. You absolutely correct it's exclusive. This is the only way to get God's word into your heart. And if it's not in your heart, you can't act on it. The second way is by praying. No, you can't see God. No, you can't see Jesus. But you can flat out talk to him. There's a lot of praying that goes on between 5.15 and 6 in the morning on 5.15 South. Communicating with God is as simple as just talking to your best friend. I get up in the morning. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm hurting this morning. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't stayed up till 1230 reading all that stupid science fiction on your phone. Yeah, 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 I know. I should have gotten more sleep. I really need you to help me through this day because physically I'm, I'm shot, God. I'm, I'm just worn out. Okay, I'll help. Good. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. Yeah, and we can talk about you staying up reading until 1230 in the morning tonight. Okay. And that night, me and God have a conversation. It's not always pleasant. But prayer is the process of taking what truth you see here and turning it into belief in which you make decisions about the truth and you say, this is reality. And then the next step is acting on it. It means turning my phone off and going to sleep. So this morning, maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about worldview, ever really thought about the way you're looking at the world. 
It's good. One of the things that's pretty typical here at East LJ is that we have no idea what God is doing in the congregation at any one time. No idea. But we want to give God a little bit of time. So the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to sing another song. We're wrapping it up. Look at that. It's 11.59. Ha! Ha! Ha, Chad Kelly! It's 11.59. And we're going to give you a chance to respond. There's no pressure. There's, nobody's going to come poke you in the arm or say, don't you need to go do something? You're all grown people. If you've never really considered the claims of Christ before and you've never gotten beyond thinking in your head that Jesus is a pretty good guy and you've reached a point of decision in which you want to make a public commitment of that, you can do that this morning. we got men and women, godly folks who come and talk with you. If you're struggling with this idea of Maybe my walk isn't matching my talk. Maybe, maybe I've talked about being a Christian, but my walk, the way in which I respond to other people and the way I respond to, respond to God and my, my kids and my wife, and maybe I need to rethink my, my worldview. If you want to come and pray with someone about that, that's fine. You can do that right in your, your seat where you're sitting. If you've got an important decision that you're facing and you want somebody just to pray with you, Listen, your brothers and sisters would love nothing more than to pray with you. So while we sing, uh, take a few minutes. Think in your heart. Think in your mind. Just be obedient to whatever God's telling you to do. And then we're going to wrap things up and we'll go on with the rest of the day. Ciao.
Thanks, guys. Thanks for your presence here today. Thank you for adding your part to our worship and to our celebration of Jesus today. Um, God's work has been done, and uh, I'm It's true. Let's live it.